We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, and I'm the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. As we've been in our current series, Christmas, the Supporting Cast, we've been exploring the lesser-known stories of Christmas, and today we're looking at Anna's story. A widow at a young age, Anna knew what it was like to walk through trials, yet she remained faithful. She remained in a posture of gratitude and worship, trusting God to come through and waiting for the Messiah. So dive into Anna's story with us today as we see what God's word has to teach us. We're so glad you're here. Well, good morning again. Uh, If you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, we're going to open up to Luke chapter 2. Uh, I tell you, as we sang, um, especially that last song, there are cathedrals all over the, all over the world that wished um, they had voices like you guys singing. Uh, that was beautiful. It was great to, to be able to worship and, and lift up our voices together and, and sing these songs. There was that moment that she tricked us. I didn't, uh, I didn't necessarily like that. <laughs> Thanks, Kendall, for that moment. Uh, I shouldn't have said, Kendall's going to be mad at me later and I don't want her mad at me. I certainly don't want her husband mad at me. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in, the, in the middle of, uh, a couple weeks into a series uh, called um, Supporting Cast or Christmas Supporting Cast. And what we're looking at is the story of Christmas and some of the, the individuals and the people that, that play not the main roles, but just these supporting cast roles and just looking at the, what we learn from their lives. And the first week we looked at uh, Jesus's genealogy in the book of Matthew and all these individuals that led to Jesus being born. And what we learned is that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. As we studied that, as Jesus had some pretty dysfunctional, has a pretty dysfunctional family tree. And we're reminded that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. Last week, we, uh, in chapter two, or Luke chapter two, where we're at today, we looked at a, a man named Simeon, who was a, a faithful man who lived faithfully before God and, and waited for the fulfillment of God's promises. And ultimately, that longing for fulfillment was met as he held the Messiah, baby Jesus. In the, in the temple court there on the day that, that Mary and Joseph came to sacrifice. And, and what we learn from Simeon's story is that we find peace when we meet Jesus. Peace is found when we meet Jesus. Because Simeon said, I can die in peace. As he held that child in his hand. This week we're going to stay in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at um, a young lady, or a, not a young lady actually, a lady named Anna. As we look in verse 36, just past where we were last week, and, and we're going to learn some things from her life. And so if you have your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen behind me. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38 is our text this morning. I'm going to read it for us. It says, There was also a prophet, Anna, a daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was, a very, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And she was a widow until she was 84. She, had never, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the songs that we sing in this time, the Christmas songs that we sing that celebrate so clearly the fact that you've come And give us reason to look forward to the fact that you're coming again. 
God, we thank you that as we open up your word, that we see men and women who are faithful, who waited on you, who searched, who, who prayed and, and waited faithfully for you. And Father, we pray as we open and learn from, from your, this passage and, and look at Anna's life, who by the world's standards would be forgotten. But God, she has so much to teach us about what it looks like to live a faithful life. So, Father, we pray that you would teach us as we open your word, that Holy Spirit, by the, by the power of your spirit, that you would open our eyes to your word and change, transform our hearts. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So if you remember, we talked about this last week, and just that Luke is, a, is the author of this gospel account that we're, we're working through in chapter 2. And Luke, is, he gives us the most detailed account of Jesus' birth. And this is usually the, the passage that's read in the Christmas stories when families gather, when we gather as the church, and, and we read these, this story, Luke's account of Christ's birth. And Luke was a doctor, but he was also a historian. And he made, he, he guided by the Holy Spirit. He gave us a careful account. He weaves together this incredible narrative of Christ's birth and God ushering salvation into the world. And one of the major themes that you find in Luke's gospel throughout is the word, is, is this theme of fulfillment. He tells us in, in Luke chapter one, verse one, that he's writing this account to, to let us know, to let Theophilus know that the things that he's learned about are true and the fulfillment of Jesus, the fulfillment of the prophecies are, are Jesus coming to earth to fulfill all the promises that God had, had laid out. That Luke was convinced that Jesus was not just some guy that came to shake things up for a little while and left. He believed that he was the Messiah, the promised one that God had promised from the very beginning in, in Genesis chapter two and three, and, and that fills the pages of the Old Testament. And so we see in both Simeon and Anna, as we look at them, these individuals who proclaim that Jesus is the fulfillment. As they hold this child in their hand, they proclaim that Jesus is that fulfillment. That's one of the themes, the major themes. The second major theme in, in this passage is that it's, or in, in Luke's gospel, is that Jesus ushers in an upside down kingdom. What we mean there is that, is that, that it was not the way that, that kingdoms usually walk, come in. It says, uh, to verse 20, or Matthew chapter 20, it says, uh, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you will become a servant. And whoever wants to be first will be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. Not, I said that backwards. Not to, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. It's clear in, in Luke chapter 2 and, and throughout this passage that, that Jesus is ushering in an upside-down kingdom. And, and he says that in Matthew, but he, the reality that Jesus is the king of kings, the creator of all, the Lord of all, and he's born in a stable and not in a palace. He was, he was, his birth was announced to shepherds, not kings. That he was presented in a temple, and it was a common old man and old woman not the priest and the wise people and the high-ranking officials who took notice of him. Jesus is ushering in this upside-down kingdom. And Paul, it tells us that 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that, that God chose to, do the, to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And, and Anna is one of what I would consider, and, and I don't mean this in a derogatory, Anna is, a, is one of those foolish and weak things that God used to shame the wise. 
Anna's one of these individuals that, that as you look at it, is this upside down kingdom and, and he, that she's who we're going to turn to. And I believe there's so much for us to learn from this lady's simple life. And, and so we ask the question before we get very far, who is this lady? And, and Anna is, Anna is this, uh, this older lady. We know that she's at least 84. Some, some folks would say she's about 105. I, I think the scriptures, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with 84 based on the scripture that, that we're reading. But she's, what we have about Anna is more than what we had about Simeon in, in, in detail about her life, even though it's less in, in number of, of passages or number of verses there. But Anna, her name means, her name is the same as Hannah that we find in the Old Testament that's in the temple that prays uh, faithfully in 1 Samuel that God gives a child. And her name means grace or graced by God. And we're going to get to that after, at, at the end, we'll come back to that. But we also know that she's a prophetess. It tells us that in the passage that she's a prophet. And we, we're not given much detail about what that means in her specific case. But it's safe to say it's, it, 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 that it's significant because there's only about a small handful of ladies that are given this title of prophetess in all of Scripture. And, and one, maybe two, uh, there's one other maybe in, in the New Testament that is given the title of prophetess. So it's a significant role that she's given. And, and, and beyond that, what, what we know about prophets in general is that they don't always just forth tell. They're not always telling what's going to happen. Sometimes they're just telling you, they're, they're, they're forth telling, not foretelling. They tell you the truth that's available to them. And so what we can know, what, what, I, would, what I would say is pretty clear about Anna is that she's a woman, she's an old godly woman who's, who the words of God are on her lips when she speaks to others. And so she's considered a godly woman, a prophetess, because she speaks God's word. We, we know that she's the daughter of Penuel and she's of the tribe of Asher. We don't know much about her dad, but we do know much, a little bit about the tribe of Asher. This is one of the lost tribes of Israel as they were a northern kingdom. And it, we're not going to go into the details of the history there. But, but as the Assyrians came and overthrew the northern kingdom of Israel, they were dispersed. And that was the part of the ten tribes that never came back together. The southern kingdom was just two tribes, but, and they, they remained to, in, intact as, as, even as the Romans overthrew. overthrew. But, but the Assyrians, as they attacked, they spread them out, and those, those never came together. And that's an, important but for other reasons, but one, one thing that, that we know about Asher is that they were the tribe of joy. And here in a temple, we, we, this forgotten old lady is joyful and happy. She represents this, the lost tribes of Israel that are a part of this promise that Jesus is the Messiah for all of Israel and all of the world. We also know that she's a widow. And she's been married for about seven years, and then her husband's, husband died, and she spent the rest of her life in the temple serving the Lord. We, we, only know, we, know, we don't know how old she was when she got married, but it's safe to say that she was in her late teens. And so if, if she was married for about seven years, it you know, could have been that, that her husband died at you know, 20 or 25 years old or something. And so at least she had spent about 50, 59 to 60 years as a servant in the temple. Some would say that she, some, some would interpret the passage, say that she was 84, 84 years in the temple. She might be 105, but I, I'm, I'm going to go with at least 60 years, right? Just based on the way that the passage reads for us. There's one more thing that we see as a, as, 
as a theme as Luke talks about, as Luke walks through all of the gospels that we see here in Anna's life is that, that Luke calls the followers of Jesus throughout his gospels to faithfulness to Jesus. And what we see in this passage and what we see in Simeon and Anna now and what we want to spend the rest of our time talking about is this faithfulness that she was faithful, spending her time in the temple serving and worshiping, fasting and praying. And and, and for the remainder of of our time, just to work through what we can learn from this lady's faithful life. And so if you have your worship guides, I give you just a handful, five things that I think that we can learn, five things, five things about faithfulness that I think that we can learn from Anna. And the first one is this, that faithfulness is a life well lived. That a faithful life is a, is a life that's well lived. There's a commentator, a, a guy that lived years and years ago named Matthew Henry and on his deathbed, this man who, who we use his commentaries 300 years later said to one of his friends, he says, you've, you've, been used, you've been used to taking notice of the sayings of a dying man. Well, this is mine. That a life spent in the service of God in communion with him is the most pleasant life that anyone can live in this world. And I would believe that Anna would agree with that statement. That Anna would say that a life devoted to God is a life that's well-lived, a life that's faithful to God and walks in faithfulness to God is a life that's well-lived. That any one of us that live a life, no matter how noble the things that we give our attention to, that ultimately, if it's not lived in devotion to Jesus, that life is a wasted life. That may seem a little harsh. I'm not saying that, that your job is wasted. I'm saying whatever your job is, if you, and on top of that, the, what overshadows that, that job, if whatever it is, is not dedicated, is not devoted to Jesus. And I believe that scripture tells us that we've wasted the life that we've got. But Anna didn't waste that life. Whether you live a short life or a long life, if you live a life that's devoted, you can have assurance that that life is well lived. And and certainly that's a part of this upside down kingdom, that faithfulness is underrated in our culture. But in scripture, it's always celebrated. And a story, if it was, I can imagine if it was an article in New York Times or the Washington Post, that, that the headline would be something along the lines of widow spends 60 years serving in her church. And I'm sure that they would say kind things about this lady. I'm sure that they would have, have good things to say, but I'm, I believe that they would certainly be confounded by her. And that even though they would say kind things, there would be a certain level that they would, that you could read inside of that article that would be a pity to this woman who in their minds would have wasted 60 years of her life doing something when she could have had so much more fun, right? Now think about the months and the years that this lady spent, Pat, that passed by her looking for the promises without seeing it, getting up in the morning and, and going to the, to the temple morning after morning, day after day, getting out of the bed, walking to the temple, praying that God would fulfill his promises and move and re, re, reshape the, the, the landscape of the Israelite people that he would bring his salvation and going to bed at night unsatisfied because it did not come. And getting up again the, the next day to walk to that same temple and pray those same prayers the next day. It's a long obedience, as Eugene Peterson says, it's a long obedience in the same direction was her life, a life of faithfulness. 
And we know that, that, that while faithfulness to God, like Anna's, is displayed, is displayed we're, we're called in our own lives, though it may look different that it's, that it, excuse me, I'm sorry, that, that it may look different for us, that it's, no, it's, no, it's not a wasted life, it's a full life when we live a life of faithfulness. That it's not a wasted for us to live in faithfulness to God, that he created us and he gives us life and breath. And in, in him, we live and move and have our being. And, and so he's given us all those things and he knows who we are. He knows what life, the full life looks like. And when God calls believers to walk in faithfulness, it's not as though he's keeping a full life from us. It's the avenue to the full life that he's promised to us. Jesus says to us, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full, and a life of faithfulness is the life to the full. And a faithful life endures heartache and rejection. If you have your worship guide, number two is faithful life endures heartache and rejection the reality is that things happen, right? For all of us, that's not sunshine and rainbows. There are, there are a handful of crossroads that all of us are going to come to in life. Moments that could be small, or, but, but feel big to us. They're great sorrows and heartaches that even devastating circumstances when we meet at crossroads. And when we have moments like that, people do one of two different things. They either run to or they run from Christ. They either run to or run from Christ and faithfulness runs to Jesus and endures that heartache and suffering. And Anna is an example of that. She's a remarkable lady, right? As a widow, she knows the pain of loss. She's lived lots of years asking. She knows the pain of disappointment that things have not happened maybe the way that she dreamed them up to be when she was a young lady. But, but even in that, as she's gotten older, she's not gotten bitter She's remained joyful and she has not lost hope. And these are the stories that we love, aren't they? The stories that we love of people who have, have experienced great heartache and struggle and trial, but they remain faithful even in the face of immeasurable sorrow. And it's faithfulness not only that endures heartache, but it endures rejection. And that rejection comes when faithfulness looks like foolishness to the wise and the powerful. Again, this is that upside down kingdom. And for the majority of, of her life, Anna has gone to the temple to ask God to fulfill these promises that he made in the Old Testament and, and believing that God was going to do it. She's a part of a very small group of people, a remnant that was there for, that, was, that believed that God would do it. For most of the people outside of that, the, the people who had grown up around her, the young kids that, that had grown up underneath her, that this story that she's praying and believing is just a myth, a wives' tale that, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to them. But she believes it. Even though to outside, to those individuals, it may even look foolish. First Corinthians, it says, but God chose again, what we read again a second ago, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And Anna teaches us that faithfulness endures heartache and rejection. And I would argue that she is able to endure heartache and rejection and, and stay faithful down the long obedience in the, same in the same direction because of number three, that faithfulness values God's presence, godly practices, and God's people. Faithfulness values God's presence, godly practices, 
and God's people. The passage says this, it says, never, she never left the temple, but worshiped day, night and day, fasting and praying. She valued God's presence. It says that she never left the temple. And, and, and the reality is that she could not have stayed and slept at the temple. Women were not allowed to sleep at the temple. So she did leave. She went back and forth. But the best way to understand this passage is that she kept on going to the temple daily. This was her practice. This is the way that she lived. And in and, and, and another word, maybe for some of you that grew up in Southern Baptist homes, she was there every time the door was, were open. Right, she was there nine months before the nine months before she was born, and every day since, every time the doors were open. And and honestly, I think about this. That's what my life looked like as a teenager. Right, I went to church every time I could, and it was far less about faithfulness to God and far more about that's where my friends were. But that's where I lived. I loved going to church. I hung out. I, I served in different places. I said this recently that nobody knew this and it was, it's kind of weird, but I played saxophone and the orchestra and the band at the church. And no, I cannot play. I'm not Kenny G today. But I did. I mean, I, we were there all the time. And I loved it. It's where my people were. And I can remember one time I got grounded for something that I certainly did not do. And I, my mom still doesn't apologize for that. And if you're listening later on to this, mom, you can call me and apologize. She will not call and apologize, I promise. But I got grounded and what I got grounded from was church. And my friends were like, you got grounded from church? Like... They couldn't understand, but it was where I, I mean, it was, it was the place that I loved going. It was the people that I loved being with. You think you know, ultimately what we need to learn from Anna is that she made God's house a priority for her life. Going to the place where God dwelled in the, old, in, in, in the temple, God's dwelling was there. In Hebrews, it tells us not to give up the gathering, not to give up gathering together as, as the church. Why? Because we need to encourage. And so she made it a priority to be in God's house with God's people. And honestly, I think that she would laugh or maybe weep at what the modern day Christian, the modern day follower of Christ would establish as a, as, as a, a regular church attendance. Because what statistics say in the modern church, that regular church attendance is about one to two times a month is regular I don't, maybe she wouldn't laugh. I think she would weep because she made it a priority to be in God's presence. That it was important for her life. Not only did she prioritize God's presence, but she practiced, she had godly practices. It says that she worshiped and that word could also be translated as served. And some, some passages is translated as served. And she, she worshiped and she served and she fasted and she prayed. And, and what we can know that even in her old age, as she got older and older, she was not idle. She continued to serve the Lord. And I don't know if you have a copy of this as a part of, as part of Rolling Hills, but the disciples guide should be at the table as you exit and, and what's inside of this disciples guide is these pages that are full of, of taking that next step. What we find in Anna's life that she practices is what is in the, in the pages here, that, that when we are saved by grace through faith, we, we model lives after the life that Christ lived. And we practice the disciplines that Christ practiced. We continually take a next step because no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, we all have a next step. So we make the practices of the people of God a priority by serving and spending time in his word, by praying and fasting. 
You look at the disciples, God, there's so many of those steps that just help us take that next step. And that's what we see in the life of Anna. And it was the practices of God and the priority of God's presence and the value for God's people that I believe allowed her to endure that sorrow and hardship and suffering. She wasn't alone. She wasn't alone in the temple. There were others there that were like her, like Simeon, that were faithful, that remnant that were there, that believed that the Messiah was coming, that God's redemption for his people was coming. And so it says when she held, when she held him and when she knew that it was Jesus, it says that she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The others that were there, that were also in the same place that her and Simeon were, we don't know if they were old or young, but we know that they were there. And she valued the people of God the same way she valued the practices and the presence of God. And we make being with each other in community a big deal, a priority if we want to continue to grow in our lives and walk in faithfulness. So we spend so much time talking about groups and this last semester, it was a bumpy start. We have a couple that actually got rolling and it was great. But next semester in, in the spring, in January, we're the priority on moving towards getting people in groups because we believe that, that we grow in circles much better than we do in rows. You can come here and hear God's word preached and sing songs along with these incredibly talented folks, but real growth happens when we circle up together and we look each other eye to eye. And we encourage each other and we support each other and we shoulder each other's burdens when we're tired and we're losing hope. And Anna had people just like that in the temple. For Anna to be so old as she was and to be recognized as a godly woman, like we see in these passages, it has far less to do with her own ability, her own self-will to defy the odds as a widow in the ancient Near East and so much more with the, the value that she placed on being in God's presence, practicing godly practices, and being with God's people. And so we should take seriously what, what we see here. Because it, it may be that placing a value on these things the way that Anna did will be the difference between running to Christ and running from Christ when we face that crossroads that we're inevitably going to face. Fourth thing that I think we can learn from her is that faithfulness produces lives overflowing with gratitude, compelled to share the good news. And coming up to them that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You know what gets on my nerves more than just about anything in the world? is a person who complains and is ungrateful and is entitled. You know that person that when you go to dinner with them and you sit at a restaurant and the food comes, it's always taken too long and there's always something wrong with the food? That person is not a person I enjoy eating dinner with. And if some of you go to lunch with me and I do that, then you have all right to call me out for it, right? Could you imagine what it would look like if Anna would have had that kind of heart, right? In this moment that, that Anna sees Jesus and, and she has, if she had that kind of entitled and ungrateful complaining heart, right? What, what would it have looked like if as Mary and Joseph walked up that rather than being joyful in her expression and, and, thanks, and having thanksgiving and gratitude, if she was like, it's about time that y'all showed up. I mean, really did it, where have you guys been? It could not have taken so long. It was just a couple of doves that y'all had to sacrifice, right? 
And now it's hot out here and my hair gets wavy when it's hot. And she asked for the baby, right? And, and, and she's, she's asked, well, hold on, is this diaper clean? Because I don't do diapers. In my old age, the baby's got to have a clean diaper. She takes him and she looks at his clothes. And she's like, did y'all not know y'all were going to be in public? What are y'all dressed in with? Rather than that, she responds because, she's, because of that faithfulness. It produced a greater and a deeper gratitude and a joy in her heart when she met the one that she had been waiting for. Beyond that, she can't stop sharing that incredible moment with those who are around her. It, it wells up in gratitude and it compels her to share the truth and the, the, the glory and the, the majesty of this gospel that this is the redemption of, of Israel. The people have been waiting for this moment and she shares it with those people that she's around. She doesn't keep it to herself. She can't. It stirs in her heart to where she has to share it. She had held the Redeemer and she could not do anything but share it with others. You know, it's kind of the accepted course of life that as we get older and gray, that we, we're allowed to get grumpier and irritable and crotchety. There's been times when I, I'm like, I can't wait to be that old dude who's like, get off my lawn. <laughs> but the reality is that I don't think it has to be, and I, I don't think it should be the acceptable course for those who follow Christ, for faithful followers of Christ, to grow old and to get grumpier and irritable and crotchety. What if growing old as a faithful follower of Christ meant that we got more and more joyful and more gracious and experienced more gratitude? What if the obvious distinction, if you were to walk into uh, someone's home that, or, or walk into a, a place, a gathering of, of older folks today, the obvious difference between those who followed Christ and those who didn't is that those who do follow Christ, that they were, they, they were gracious and loving and joyful. As I was preparing this week, I, I thought about my grandfather who was a godly, godly man. And he was joyful and gracious all the years that I knew him. And I reflected this week on the final years of his life as I watched others around him grow more and more sullen and complain about different things that, that he became more and more joyful. Even after losing my grandmother, he was a joyful man. He shared that joy with others and shared his relationship with Christ with others. And honestly, as he moved towards his last days, it was marked. I remember having conversations with him as, as he was spending those last days. He was serving in his little country church. He would be there daily doing something around the church. And at night he would watch, and I, I thought he was kind of goofy back then. He would watch Gaither vocal band videos because they had because they had hymns and he wanted to sing those songs. And he opened up God's word and he read it. And he would tell me how often he was reading through God's word because even in his old age, when he couldn't do as much, he opened up God's word and spent more and more time in God's word. I believe that for, for Christians that our as we walk with Christ, as we grow in faithfulness, that we grow in gratitude, we grow in joy, and it can be a marker in our lives as we continue to grow. And lastly, this, this that faithfulness needs the grace, or needs grace that comes from knowing Jesus. 
You can recall a second ago I said we'd come back to Anna's name. And Anna's name means grace or graced. And here in the temple court, Anna the graced held Jesus, the grace of God. My fear as I was working through this and even listing out things that we can learn about Anna is that what we might leave with is a list of things that we've got to go do better at. That you leave here, that I leave here thinking, I need to work harder, I need to do better than what I'm doing. And if we leave with that, then we miss the point. Because it's not about your faithfulness, it's not about that your faithfulness is not what brings you redemption. If Anna's faithfulness could have led to the redemption that she sought, then the baby that she held in the temple courts that day would never have needed to come. But Jesus was the grace of God. That without him, the most, the most faithful had no hope. That if you and I would take the list of the first four things that we just talked about and for the rest of our lives would have lived faithful to those four things, we would still fall short. But that's the reason that Christ came. He came to this world to rescue us from sin's grip, from the grip of sin and death. And Jesus is the grace of God to sinners. That without the grace of Jesus, there is no hope, there's no peace Without the presence and the life and the work of that baby that's in the manger, there's no light at the end of the tunnel for sinners. There's no happy ending for rebels. There's no home for the lost. There's only darkness and defeat and judgment and death. No matter how faithful you might be able to be during the short run on this earth, that without Christ, we have no hope. I'm gonna invite the guys to come back up. That here in this upside down kingdom, contrary to the way the world and our culture talks, that just work harder and pull up your bootstraps and just get it done, that Jesus said he was the faithful one that came to get it done for us. That where we, where we would fail and fail and fail, Christ came and was faithful on our behalf. And so this morning, if, you, if you're looking through this list and what wells in your heart is a desire to work harder, what I want you to do is, rather than trying to work harder, look to Jesus. Because he's your only hope. And as you look to Jesus, as you find Christ at the center of your life, I believe that these things that Anna experienced, that it will become a part of the way that we live. That it won't be because our faithfulness that Jesus loves us, it's that Jesus loves us and then we become faithful out of a response to what he's done for us as the only faithful one. I'm gonna pray and then um, I'm gonna ask the guys to come and we're gonna collect an offering, but let me pray for, the, for this first. Jesus, we thank you for today what you're doing and the fact that we get to be here and worship you. We thank you that you were faithful even when we were faithless. That our salvation and our redemption and our restoration and relationship with you is not based on how faithful we could be, but the fact that you were faithful on our behalf. And we trust in your faithfulness. We fall on your faithfulness. 
As we believe in you, we believe that, God, you give us the strength, you give us the power to live a life that we see Anna live. And we learn from her that we can maintain and be faithful and that faithfulness to you is a life that is well-lived and it endures sorrow and suffering. But it comes when we meet Jesus, when we meet the grace of God and the person and the work of Jesus, your son. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.